0: Welcome to Mountain Whispers podcast, conversations on the deeper lessons we learn from the mountains. In this episode, I speak with Jordan Lenman. Jordan is an all round badass mountain dude. He's a climber, he's an ultramarathon runner, he's a backcountry splitboarder. By profession, he teaches avalanche safety and, and does some guiding, but just an all round wholesome badass dude. In this conversation, we talk about how we got into these sports in the first place, uh, the nature of being a guide, and what it's like to mix your passion with your day job. We go into a bunch of spicy expeditions and adventures that he's got himself into, um, and nerd out on gear, nerd out on flow, nerd out on, on risk. So without further ado, here's Jordan. Sorry, I still don't have transition music. I'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um... Awesome. Action. Well, Jordan, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're, we know each other from coming to American adventures guiding. Um, yeah. Now you've done a whole bunch of dope shit outside of that. So um, I'd love to, if you could talk a little bit more about your background, uh, both in ultramarathons, skiing, climbing, how you, how you ended up uh, part of the culture here.
1: Okay, um, yeah, so background wise, like growing up, didn't really do anything in the outdoors. So I kind of feel like I didn't really go properly camping until I was like maybe 18, 17, 18, and then just sort of started to fall into it that way. But I remember being around probably like 12 or 13 years old and finding a book on Captain Scott, who like was exploring the Antarctic and reading that and finding it like one of the coolest things I've ever read. And after I read, read that, it kind of like pushed me in a direction of like wanting to get into the outdoors more. And so part of that being doing moving to New Zealand that I got really into uh, the outdoors working uh, a winter down there in Queenstown. That was kind of the initial start of it. Met some really interesting people that were like ultra runners and like vegans and like just fully into the mountain culture scene and felt like I really wanted to be part of that and get into it. And then kind of it just, everything snowballs from there. Every time I sort of like picked up a new sport, I found that if I like took it a bit seriously and trained or focused on it a little bit, I could have a lot of fun and do things that I didn't think I was possible of doing. Like I didn't think I could ever do those things. But if you put the effort in, I could. So it felt like, yeah, every time the new venture comes up, I can always find something else. That's a different way to like push it to my sort of, not extremes. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't think was possible.
0: I feel that. I feel that. And so um, today, I guess obviously we're we're moving into winter. But what uh, what sports take up most of your your time and and energy?
1: Uh, and so in winter, it's pretty much mainly ski touring, and then also just trying to train for climbing in between those, in between trips to sort of come into the summer feeling strong. Mm-hmm. So they, um they, I think they benefit each other pretty well. Like if I'm too tired, like physically, to go ski touring, I can usually bang out a climbing session or a fingerboard session or something, just mm-hmm. to sort of keep the fitness up. Um, yeah, I think all the things that we do in the outdoors, like they all complement each other so well.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: they all have like even if it's just hiking or like at the moment I'm not running because of my ankle, but if I wasn't injured, I would definitely be out trail running too. Like even. Mm-hmm. Even in the winter in Squamish, it doesn't snow that much, so you can definitely still get out quite a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel that too, especially I, my background being in track and field running. Uh, that oh, yeah. that was my entry to the outdoors was um, kind of after running injuries, doing some hiking and mountaineering and being like, this is, <laughs> this is like, like the runner's high that I'm, I'm used to without having to do like the, the super disciplined – like 13 training sessions a week diet like I get, mindset, I get yeah. like but if you, you do know. them
1: though you know like if you do commit to those training sessions like it, you do see massive results mm. like-
0: yeah yeah i i definitely uh yeah the, the, you definitely get out what you put in um yeah. but what i love you mentioning how they complement each other I, I what i love about putting them all together is uh one there's like seasonality in terms of mostly skiing in winter mostly climbing or we're running in summer, so you never get sick of of one thing.
1: No, you're excited for that next one to come, right? Always- exactly,
0: exactly. Uh, and, but also, they all uh, they they all add to to something, you know. They're, they're all essentially like long days on your feet, working hard. Like you can do the more you the more you're outside, the more you're you're helping everything, basically.
1: Totally, uh, yeah. And all that, and like each each skill carries over, I find too, especially with like rock climbing rope skills can bring in that into glacial travel it, because I had that little bit of rock ground, rock climbing experience background. It just, mm-hmm. it's it been so much easier and so much more efficient. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, would, I'd love to get into uh, the, the rope side and, and risk assessment uh, at, at some point. Um, but I'm curious. Uh, so this is sports. So I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the guiding side. How did you get into, into guiding?
1: Uh, so I've only done a little bit of it, really. Um, I well, I was at, when at university. I did an outdoor education degree, and they were always talking about Canada being a great place to go and do your guiding certifications, just because of how like accredited they are, and how wild it is in Canada. So it was always in the back of my mind that I might end up here, and might end up doing that, but I wasn't going to push anything. Just sort of was in, the, in the back of my mind. And then when I came out here. I was out here for four years before I started doing my ACMG certs, but I only did, I've only done the hiking guiding so far. So I did the hiking guide assistant and then the full hiking guide. And I've got some definitely some good work out of that and some good experiences for sure. And mm. um, learned a lot with that. And the courses were so good. Like I just felt so much more confident in my skills after finishing those exams and those courses. And so I still want to continue down that line. And um, the, I had one good crack at the rock climbing. Uh, yeah. The rock guide exam, but I just wasn't in the right place. It wasn't strong enough. It wasn't ready yet, but um, now I've got a good understanding of what's to come. I'm definitely going to give that another crack this summer. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the plan. And then, then eventually the ski, hopefully
0: mm-hmm.
1: but who knows? I'm kind of like always on the edge of, do I keep these sports for myself just to like have them as enjoyment or do they want to become work? And I'm always finding that battle of like, I don't know a lot of the time. And uh-huh. um, it's a big question. If like, I want to make it a job, you know, mm-hmm.
0: how um, changes? I, I know that Yeah, I've I'm, I'm, I'm asked that question a lot as well. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the, the, the ways that you feel like your passion gets ruined? by doing it for a job
1: i don't know if it's if it gets ruined i don't know if that's like because it, it doesn't get ruined it just kind of changes the feeling i think sometimes like um hmm. there's just like certain parts of like i don't know something that you love being say if it's rock climbing for example i really enjoy going out and rock climbing with my friends like it's some of a, like some of the best things i've ever done has been that and then, once you change that environment into like a guiding environment where all the pressure is on you, where sometimes, like, if you're taking out inexperienced friends, the pressure is on you for sure. And it's basically the same thing, but you just have to be a little bit of a different person. And that's where I find guiding sometimes difficult is when you have to, like, put a face on. You know, you can't be totally honest if someone's being a dick. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know those. I know those feels for sure. It, it's funny. So, my first guiding job was as a mountain bike guide in, in Bolivia. And, and I, it, it, about a month before I started, I was, I was in Peru and uh, I rented a bike and, and got this guided tour. Uh, I think it was in Juarez. Anyway, I told him that, that I was just about to start a job as a guide and asked him cause he'd been a guide for like 20 years. And he, he, he advised me against it. He's like, don't, don't, I think, what did he say? Don't prostitute your passion. <laughs> and he, and he said, he's, he's never, he's never liked mountain biking. He just does it for a job or something like that. It's, um,
1: it's, that's definitely a thing. If you're doing it like every day, all the time, and it doesn't change, then it could feel like that. Yeah.
0: I, I disagree though. I found from the I, from the year I did in Bolivia, it was, if anything, it was like work-life harmony. Like I, I was, yes, there is some shit days working yeah. uh, where you're like, man, that, that was a shitty day. But in general, you're you're spending more of your waking hours doing what you love, and then like things like life admin becomes like you spend you get more opportunities to work on your bike, which is like a beautiful opportunity. Like just everything seems to come together. More, yeah, I, I, found.
1: I, mean, I do feel like you get a lot of free time regarding too. like it. Just feels like there's not not free time when it's like go time, but like in between the seasons, that's kind of your time to go away and do what you want. Yeah.
0: But even when you are working, it's like you're more around just your people, you know. Like, mm-hmm. like you, one, your workmates are all into the outdoors as well. Like, two, you're having like the clients more than often get it. Yeah, obviously you get some like spoiled <laughs> rich people who who are not your vibe of people. It's like
1: any job, isn't it? Exactly. You know, like- yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. But I, I don't know. I still, I'm still always asking that question though. Like, do I want to? Do I want it to become a job, you know? And I'm, and like yeah. a lot of the time, yeah, I do. I really like it, and I want to to get to that standard. But then I'm still, there's always at the back of my mind, I'm questioning it for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, it's funny for me because uh, I actually, so I I now like I work for a tech startup uh, downtown, um, but I, I still say I'm I'm a guide on sabbatical because uh, <laughs> because I'm not willing to admit that I. Uh, that I've, I've, I've given into the corporate life. Um, there's,
1: well, there's, there's definitely like a part of the whole guiding scene that I like more and that is teaching. Like I find mm. that the most rewarding and that I really enjoy teaching co- courses and classes and things. So mm. I feel like if I, or when I get or like get to that point with those certifications that I'm allowed to teach those courses, I'm probably just going to mainly focus on that. Mm-hmm. Like I'd like to, I don't know, eventually would like to work at the university somewhere and do what my lecturers did for me when I was at uni that's the kind of path that I see myself going down instead of doing lots and lots of guiding being more teaching
0: yeah okay well what were what kind of lecturers do you have through university
1: uh just I don't know I didn't just really nice humble people that I didn't realize were badass until like after leaving uni and I was like holy shit like that was pretty crazy they did some fucking nice stuff yeah yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: just like I don't know the guys that we had like teaching the rock climbing courses and stuff like didn't they didn't really let on or i don't know i find that those those guys didn't really tell you what they'd done and then they'd throw out a few little comments here and there about like soloing big stuff in the alps and they didn't really hit home to me until afterwards and i was like oh oh shit okay yeah mm. <laughs> yeah like and it, i didn't jump straight into it either like i definitely did the course and was like yeah i really like the outdoors i like the industry like i'm into it but I still had to go away and spend a few years just traveling to find what I liked about it and what I wanted to do in it, you know?
0: Like, mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. How many, uh, did you just do two seasons with American Adventures? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. How would you describe that kind of, kind of guiding? Would you call that guiding at all? No. Not, no. Well, somewhat.
1: Like, you're not really. It's like, I, I feel like, I I feel like guiding is like taking people into like either wild or remote places or even places with lots of like risk assessments involved. And you have to like guide them through that in a safe way. You know, I feel like quite a lot of the time that's what it is. Or like facilitating some sort of like adventure that they want to do or place they want to see. Where with that, it was kind felt like bus driving, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I feel that because uh, the the guiding that I was doing in Bolivia it was uh I was a mountain bike guide, so I was on a mountain bike which is dope but 90 96 95 96 percent of the trips was the world's most dangerous road this like this gravel road that was yeah, uh, right, yeah. and it was people just doing it uh I mean it, 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 it was it's like a tick box it's something you got to check off when you're traveling South America and then but the five percent where I was like gnarly single tracks with experience, uh, mountain bikers. That's, uh, that's the shit I lived for, but regardless, I I felt like it, uh, it's still, you're still facilitating an experience. Uh, and, and, um, like I still felt that I had the opportunity to introduce a whole bunch of people to mountain biking, to the outdoors, to adrenaline, uh, and I feel like American Adventures is the same, and
1: uh, yeah, and I think it's just a different introducing level
0: the outdoors to people. Uh,
1: yeah, like some people that are just getting into the outdoors or aren't able to. Um, I don't know, just they're just like just touching the surface or scratching the surface of like what the outdoor scene is or what you can do in the outdoors, and don't fully understand it yet. But like by being there and showing them these places, you kind of like get to introduce them to, mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I wouldn't change anything though. Like I I really enjoyed my time there and had a really good crew of people and like just met some awesome, made some awesome friends and Mm -hmm. met some awesome people guiding and stuff. But the last year wasn't gonna be my last summer, but that was it anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned uh, you're not even sure whether or not uh, you would, uh, guiding would be a route you you'd take and is that uh even legit guiding is that um because of the kind of the the risk assessment you you have to make and the responsibility for other people's lives in say high alpine and and things or or talk more about professional guiding
1: no i don't i don't i don't find the risk assessment side of things like something that would deter me like i I find myself like probably wanting to go for those reasons because i do trust my own decisions if i feel like i've got a good understanding of a specific situation like if i've been in it before or i've read about it or i know what we should and should not be doing i'm more than happy to like be in charge of that and take control and um, it'd be more so i just wouldn't want it to become repetitive or like i wouldn't want it to be i just want to wouldn't want to lose the jazz for it you know that's what I'd sure. for. It. it's like sure. if i did the same thing over and over again then like say for example, if it was like climbing the chief, right? And I really enjoy climbing the chief. It doesn't matter which way you do it, I love it. But if I, if I was doing it four or five times a week for three months, then it might dull down a bit. That sensation might start to disappear. And
0: that'd yeah. Be bad. Yeah. I um. Yeah. I, I honestly, I I think there's definitely ways around it from like working as a as a mountain bike guide, and that you you have to consciously remind yourself that like even though this is a work day and you're looking forward for the work day being over like you're still on the side of a mountain yeah like yeah. you have to consciously remember what you're doing is freaking awesome um but it's yeah my, my experience and, and granted I only did it for a year was that uh it, it's possible to manage the experience in it and it works out
1: yeah, no, I, I, I just feel like that requires work. And I'm, I'm not afraid yes. of that. I just don't want to, I don't know, I'd be afraid of losing mm. something. I feel that. You know, yeah. like more, I don't want to lose something that I've gained that I really enjoy and then mm. it just become dull.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I, think, I don't know, I think these kind of things come in waves, don't they too, you know? Like For sure. There you are, yeah.
0: For sure. I'm curious on your take on, on risk assessment though, because I, I feel like that is uh, so important. I know I've had a, a couple just in the last this, the last six months, like a couple of, of brushes where I'm like, I could have gone a whole lot worse. And at the same time, I could have done a whole lot more to mitigate that yeah. risk.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally do. I feel you. I uh-huh.
0: <laughs> how, how do you approach that? I don't know, do the stories come to mind or do you have set practices?
1: Um, Well, I, I, I can definitely talk about a time when I felt like my... Uh, Risk assessment went wrong, and I was, yeah. It uh, so like this summer, I had a climbing accident and broke my left ankle. Fell twenty five feet to the ground, and yeah, it could have been so much worse. It could have been landed on my back. I could have landed on my head. I was on my own, so when I fell, no one was there to help. I had to like drag myself up the trail to get to my phone so I could call search and rescue to come and get me. It was. Pretty full on, and like just realizing like how far my risk assessment was out of whack.
0: Jesus. Okay, from the top, like walk us through what happened.
1: Yeah, so I uh, was just out bouldering for the day, and managed to find a partner that day, and was going to go climbing in the bugaboos in like three or four days' time on like a week-long climbing trip. So I just wanted to get a day out uh, on the rock and just start to because I hadn't done that much climbing that summer. I just wanted to be out there and just sort of see where I'm at physically and. Took my bike, loaded the pads up, went to the smoke bluffs, and did probably about three or four boulders in the morning. Just really enjoying the morning, just taking a chill, nothing high, everything like really close to the ground. Just having a lot of fun. And then just started to think about, oh, maybe I should go home. I was like, oh no, I'll do a bit more. We'll go go to a new spot. So I ended up going to another spot and then set the, set the mats up. Did about three or four routes there. And then uh, there was this really nice crack climb it was like a left, a right trending crack that looked looked really fun. Like it looked like it was in my, it was within my grade that I would quite happily solo and be up that high. And uh, anyway, so I started cruising up it, coming to the last little move to like mantle onto the top before you can walk off. And as I like moved my right foot up and pressed and pushed up to mantle, my right foot just slipped away, and the next thing I know, I'm flying through the air and straight for the ground and- yeah I had time to think about it like think fuck fuck like you fuck this and then tried to land like really softly and like into a roll landed on the ground rolled over and like sort of skidded to a halt and then just sort of like tried to like take stock of what the situation was tried to stand up and then instantly fell over and I was like oh fuck yeah (laughs) yeah I feel
0: like
1: the ankles are done I thought I broke both ankles because I couldn't stand on either so I um yeah, my phone was, like, in my bag, so I had to drag myself up the trail to get to my phone and then called 911 uh, called and get the ambulance and get search and rescue out to come and get me because I was screaming for help and no one was answering me.
0: Oh, man. What was the, the approach yeah. time? Like, how remote were you?
1: Not that far. Like, no. like, in the smoke bluff. So, like, you could walk there from the nearest road in, like, five minutes or so. So, it's not that far away. Oh, yeah. But it was just, yeah, where I was, there was no one around that day. It was like the middle of the afternoon so there wasn't many people climbing mm. and yeah I, there was no way I could get myself out yeah it was not yeah, a
0: and
1: like I don't know it's not my proudest moment to have to like call search and rescue to come and like get a bunch of volunteers to come and help me like and I felt bad about that but just yeah it, it just needed to happen and I felt like I was going like I was in so much pain that I was like going in and out of like if I could feel like I was going to lose consciousness and stuff too and was yeah so I called my girlfriend and then she stayed on the phone with me the whole time until the uh, ambulance arrived. Cause I was in absolute agony.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was it a hard decision to call 911?
1: Well, I was thinking, yeah. Cause I, I sat on it for a little while before I called, like I was yeah. definitely thinking, all right, what other things can I do or who can I, who can I call to come and get me? And then in the moments of thinking about it, I was like, yeah, just call them. Like that's what they're there for. Just do it. So I, I did, but yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It was tough. And they were they were great. And it was obviously when COVID stuff was going on too. So they were managing all that side of things too. Like mm-hmm. putting a mask on me as soon as they got there and all these sort of things. But um yeah, I just had to sit there for like half an hour waiting and just yeah, just it felt like I was like growling in pain, like
0: uh, just
1: for ages, like trying to keep my breath and calm myself down because oh my legs were swelling up so fast.
0: Yeah geez because you yeah. remember yeah i didn't say in the uh during the, the fall because 25 feet's a long way man like yeah, to, I know. like I'm a broken lucky. ankle from that is like count your like I,
1: i'd actually like landed in almost like a full squat i tried to like land it <laughs>
0: when when you were falling was it uh can you remember was it like full-on panic or what what was it no
1: it wasn't no it wasn't panic like oh it, well. I've done. I haven't done a lot of soloing, but like I've definitely been higher than that on similar grades, and never really thought anything of it. And I feel like that's what was more of a shock was like that I had come off. Mm-hmm. I always thought that if I was going to fall somewhere, it would be like really I'd be really tense, or I'd be like really stuck, or I'd, I could feel my hand slipping or something. But it just came out of nowhere. Like mm-hmm. Didn't expect it, and that, I think that was the biggest shock for me. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. And that's why I feel like my risk and um, I don't know. It was just it was everything was out of whack. Like I was too confident. Yeah. For, yeah. for my ability for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you know why I uh kind of on the, the theme of like uh skills and outdoors that you can bring into to everything? Um I'm like I, I'm a massive spacehead and then I, I lose my keys and forget like the, the random shit. I've missed like four different flights, like <laughs> left my Kindle and the seat pocket four times or whatever. Uh, And when I'm rock climbing, I'm like, if you make one of those mistakes, it can actually kill you. (laughs) Like you need to like, and and so like the, like the presence of mind and being super thorough, uh, it's, it's so important because it's, it's make or break when you're climbing. And I've found as, since I've started climbing in the last couple of years, like it's forced me to become more attentive and thorough Oh, like, in the, in
1: the out, outside of climbing you know
0: i do i mean i i also have started like when i missed my like fucking fourth flight i'm like okay <laughs> the, you need to find out to like you need to be more organized so like the, the, i mean it's, I'm, not the flight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the flight's fault at all um so I, I mean i've been working on it in all in all aspects but uh like I know, like paying an extra couple hundred dollars for a flight versus like breaking your back. Like rock climbing motivates me to be thorough more than than missing flights does. Like, uh, no, I,
1: I see what you mean. Like I, yeah, if I'm rock climbing, that's kind of like it. You know,
0: just mm. focused
1: on that. And I think that's one of the beauties of it. And semi ski touring, mm. like we can have a good old chat and a yarn about stuff as we're like walking up. When we're skiing down, it's just all about going down.
0: Yeah yeah anything uh what i like because this is only my second season of skiing so everything's new to me but um just the 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 cold just adds another level of like complexity to everything like in ski touring and that like one just like keeping your stuff from getting too wet from the the snow melting is like something that you need to be super deliberate in two like if you hurt yourself at all everything is serious because you need to get out before you get hypothermia. Like,
1: Yeah. There's definitely like, well, there's, yeah, there's a, like, I feel like any sort of sport has those things, but in the snow and the cold, like, especially in Canada, like it's mm. even more paramount really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and uh, even then once you start getting into like doing overnight things and stuff, it, like you have to be able to keep your snow, your sleeping bag dry because or like you have to be able to like put your tent up in a storm or or wherever it is. Yeah.
0: Did you learn that the the hard way?
1: The the sleeping bag one. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Do you want to, do you want to tell a story about that? (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) We were doing like a eight days or nine days ski traverse from uh, Blackcomb to Vancouver to like pit lake. So we like combined three different ski traverses into like one big traverse like of Garibaldi park. And I took sleeping bag which I thought would be all right you know like I've used it in a snow cave before and I was cold but it wasn't too bad and it just and I, it just didn't work that like, this thing got wet and I mean like it got really wet and I actually have one of those like emergency like blanket things like a little it's basically like a big thick plastic bag that I was having to like climb in or put around the sleeping bag and there's nothing worked so like every night I was just laying there shivering. <laughs> I wasn't going to sleep. I was oh, just laying man. there like, uh, uh, and the, like, and all my, my friends that were on the trip could hear me shivering away and like rustling, trying to keep myself warm. And yeah, it was that was tough. Yeah, I definitely was like really enjoying the trip. But then when it got to nighttime, I'd be sat there looking at the sleeping bag, not wanting to get in it where everyone else is like just getting in their sleeping bag. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what was it like doing that? What was What was the self-talk like? I would have been like beating myself up
1: <laughs> for making that uh, mistake. Yeah, I definitely was beating myself up. Uh, I, I think that's what people are good at sometimes, like especially in the outdoors. Yeah. Like they are good at like telling themselves off, you know, like for me- for fucking up or making mistakes. I think we were very good at that. Uh, you know? But yeah, I was just like, "There's no way out of it. You got to just get on with it," you know. Yeah. So, uh, and at that point as well, like first two days, I was really sick. I kept like puking my guts up for some reason. I wasn't sure why. So I was just really struggling like going through the Hurt Locker for the first two or three days. Yeah.
0: And you were able to turn that even through that you were able to turn.
1: Well, you know, I, what I actually on the form is it the second day? Yeah. halfway through the second day, there was like an option of like being able to escape from where we were. And I was like pitching it to the, to my friends that I would, I would just go out and get out myself and they could carry on. And they were like, well, no, if you, if one of us goes, we all have to go cause it would be too risky. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to get on with it then. Cause I don't Mm. want you guys to have to pull out because of my struggles. So we just, they just like, yeah, helped me out in every way they could and got me through it. Yeah.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Good good team. I don't know. Good, good morale. Good team. It goes a long way.
0: Yeah. I I think that's, that's so important, especially in a situation like that. Cause there's, there's a thousand ways that could go South at any moment when you're doing a, a nine day ski trip. Like,
1: Oh, it was, but it was so good at the same time though, you know, like it was yeah. the best trip of my life. So I, I'm so glad that I didn't turn around on it just mm-hmm. because of like being a bit sick, like whatever, like, fuck it. Like if, if I have to like puke on like, a few glaciers to be able to go and have that much of an experience and I don't care.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> was that your first, uh, big, big trip or what had you been, what kind of touring had you done before that?
1: Uh, I'd done a fair amount on like complex terrain for sure. Um, I was living up in Smithers at the time and was getting after it out there, like in northern BC. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, longest I'd been out was three days, like in snow caves. And then um, I'd done a bunch of hut trips as well, like four or five days at a time. But that was the longest that we'd I'd done, like out without uh, any sort of shelter.
0: Uh-huh. we took
1: one of those like tarp tents, the Megalite, Black Diamond tarp tents. So it's basically like dig a hole in the snow, put a tarp over it, and that's what you're sleeping. Yeah. Four people. Um, but it's by far, I feel like, the best way to to, to do traverses because it weighs nothing and it's so small. Like, you yeah. Know, you can it. Um, it, yeah.
0: Yeah. But you now, should? now Sorry. I've got
1: a good sleeping bag. <laughs> <So. Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> upset now. I've like got like oh, yeah. I think I think that's what it comes to as well as like the equipment. I've definitely like upped my game with equipment over the years, so now it's way more comfortable and enjoyable. Like pretty much all the sports I like to do now, like I've tried to like
0: get
1: the better stuff, better equipment, so just so you can stay out longer and actually enjoy it more. I feel like it's so much, it's so worth it.
0: Yeah, anything, Matt. Like it's funny. Before I got super into the outdoors, I just I couldn't believe like how expensive outdoors gear was, Mm. Um, but then it just takes like one experience like that to, to realize how valuable a $500, $600, 700 sleeping bag is. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: whatever.
0: <laughs> whatever the, the cost is. There's like, there's probably like 15 different items that I'm like, you know, it would be nice to have like, like a sleeping bag liner to just add like another four degrees to my sleeping bag or something. And it would, it would just take one shitty experience and I'll, I'll go to Mac like that afternoon. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah, it's so funny. Like, I was having this conversation with Michaela. She was like, we were trying to buy a new mattress and a new duvet or something. And I was like, oh, we'll spend like, I don't know, 200 bucks on the mattress and the bed and all that. And she was like, what? We're going to spend more than that. You've spent a $1,000 on a sleeping bag that you don't sleep in very often, but you want to spend $200 on a <laughs> every night. It doesn't make sense. I was like, "Oh yeah, It's true. Well,
0: honestly, the only way I can afford to to spend like $1,000 on a sleeping bag is by spending like 40 bucks on my duvet at home. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I get that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's funny how you go through those transitions of equipment and, like, what you want and what yeah. you need. And then, like, you also have things that you don't really need but that you've already bought that you end up, like, just ditching anyway.
0: Like, mm. uh, yeah. What, what I was going to ask is, um, especially on, uh, like, a nine-day ski tour trip, uh, like, your crew is, is so important because yeah. uh, it you, you really is, like, a, a weakest link, like, game. And you you you, you – each other's lives are in each other's hands uh i'm curious how like how you decide who you go out on those big trips with or or how that group was decided something like that
1: yeah um so the so there's four of us that usually do these trips and especially that nine day trip there's four of us um tom kate and tyler tom i'd never met before before the trip but i'd spent a bit of time with tyler hanging out and he like vouched for him so i totally trusted him and like now he's a really good friend and I'd happily spend many days in the mountains room and, and kate i'd met years prior um where were we at zip trek like working as a zip trek zip line guide mm-hmm. and she'd been out in Revelstoke stoke doing a bunch out there we just sort of kept in touch slightly and i always find there's not a lot of people that want to do like not there is a lot of people that want to do it but like when it comes to like signing up to do a nine day ski traverse sleeping sleeping in a snow cave there's, there's not a lot of people that come out and say that they want to come and do it and with these guys, once we like got out there, everything just seemed to gel really well. Like we had a lot of respect for each other, a lot of trust in each other's skills because each each person has had their own different experiences and different types of training they've had and work-wise. And it just became apparent that if like one person in the group had a feeling, then everyone was going to like listen to it and actually talk about it. Um being even if it was like something that one person wanted to ski in the group, it was a group decision if they were gonna go and ski it you know like mm-hmm. we're out here in the middle of nowhere it's taken six days to get to this point if you see a nice line that you want to go and ski it's a it's a group discussion if that one person is going to go do it and like having that just that i don't know that much understanding within the group it just fills you with confidence because i know that i have a voice and everyone has a voice so it's just a great place to be
0: i love that yeah i i, I experienced the same with like the the crew that i go out with um in that yeah it is it is a it it really does have to be a group decision any time you take on something like that, oh. um, and and then when shit gets hairy, uh, you're you absolutely rely on each other. We had in the summer we did uh, Mount Alpha in the Tantalus range. Yeah, I want to hear
1: about this. Yeah,
0: man, and we uh, so we were we were going up a glacier, and it was it was like one p.m. also late summer, and so there was a we were worried about the moat, and I think um, three of us maybe four of us got across it, and we were just trying to work out where the the thickest pass across it was. And as uh Tom was securing himself to to work out with the best liners, we heard this massive crack. And I thought it was an avalanche. I had no idea what was happening. I thought they were were toast and um basically the whole it would have been a good four three, four meter edge of it just completely collapsed under. Um and there wasn't there wasn't that much movement. Um but Sorry? So when
1: you say collapse under, you mean like fell inwards or what?
0: Yeah. So so if you're looking at it, the, the rock face of alpha was here, the glacier we climbed up was here. Yeah. And basically this just crumbled down. Right. And so, so it was yeah. there wasn't it's was not like it was avalanche movement, but if uh, if it cracked off in a different place, it would have easily crushed someone. There was like there was that much mass. And yeah, that's,
1: um, that's they're birch runs, man. They're like they're spicy, especially at hmm. one o'clock in the summer. You know, that's like prime time.
0: Yeah, man, and we were so we're getting there. Were there were two people left on the glacier when it happened, so we like fortunately we had a rope and like we roped everyone up to to get them off it. But we we had no idea if it was going to move any further. And then when we got them off, uh, we we continued on to the summit, but uh, none of us wanted to get back on the glacier, and it was a it was a decision of like we've got to we either go on the glacier and risk something we have no idea how much weight it's going to take for it to go again uh, or uh, we we find a way to down climb this cliff uh, both of which were, were super shitty situations that neither of us wanted to do and it was a uh, for me that was telling because it was a uh, uh, one it was making decisions with incomplete information like it, it made us it, it made us clear that we fucking need to do a mountaineering course like when, when we're in a situation like this it's it's time to get better qualified but uh, no
1: well, yeah, that's that's great like that's the like, if that's the your answer to the situation then that's a, a good answer you know like
0: that's that true happen? the other thing that stood out for me was there was a, a clear difference between one fear as in what we're scared of and two risk assessment like one one person uh like we, we had ropes uh, and and harnesses, so we we would be able to to belay down the, the cliff in, in a way that we could mitigate the risk very clearly. But one person was wasn't very experienced rock climbing and so would prefer to jump on the glacier to get off rather than down climbing. Um, and I, I felt like that was an example of fear overcoming or fear playing a larger role than than risk assessment.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're basically playing to the fears, not to the situation.
0: That, oh, that, my, my read of that situation was that, uh, 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 that uh, in this case it was fear of rock climbing or, uh, or of the unknown of rock climbing was were, were stronger than the risk assessment of which is more dangerous getting onto a weak glacier or down climbing in harnesses and like, and a strong B layer, you know, mm-hmm but i
1: feel like yeah in, in that situation if it's the Berkshire run that's collapsed then obviously that's the point where the it's the most dangerous so by getting across that pretty quickly and actually get onto the glacier you're probably pretty safe
0: uh, after it was so are you saying that the the glacier is the most dangerous part or after the the so the Berk, berkshire how do you pronounce it
1: Birkshrand, like a shrand. The
0: the Birkshrand had collapsed. It's now. It, was it? Is it now safe? We still don't know what what, what was the safest move there.
1: I, I, I it, so basically the the Birkshrand is like a point where the the glacier connects to the rock. It's like the very beginning of the glacier. Mm-hmm. And as they melt away, they sometimes like cause well, not a cornice, but it's kind of like the where it bridges towards the rock. It can become hollow underneath. So it's probably mm-hmm. like collapsed in the, the sun at one o'clock especially if it's close to the rock the rocks to be hotter than anything it's going to cook so mm. by depending on what the temperatures are done if it had cooled down a lot in the afternoon when you were coming back on it then you might have been a lot safer but realistically the only sort of major danger would be major danger would be the uh the berkshrend yeah south. once you got if you could quickly get across that with ropes on once you're on the glacier, you should be pretty good.
0: Yeah. What we, we ended up down climbing uh, and, and avoiding the glacier completely. Um, and, and I felt like that was the best way to mitigate it, considering we had no idea what the, the Berkshire run was going to do. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm curious what kind uh, of
0: situations you've been in like that. I fell in the Berkshire before. Well, that was really. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, where was it? It was up in Smithers trying to ski this cooler called the Kathleen Cooler. Out out the resort it's pretty wild to get to you have to like i think you skin for a couple of hours to get to or an hour hour and a half to this ridge top then you rappel onto this like hanging glacier and you have to ski across this really steep like hanging glacier to get to the main glacier which where you would not want to fall and then once you get on the glacier you do a couple of kilometers across and then you can start going up the couloir. and it was me and my friend todd and we were just started climbing up the the couloir. And we could see that there was two Berks runs. Like it was like I think it was a double one. It was two staggered Berks runs, and uh, I managed. I was on a rope, and I managed to get across the first one, um, and then I started to try and go across the second, and was like could see that it's just so big. I can't really see where I'm gonna get across it, but just tried to like do one big step or like one big jump to get across it, and then just slipped in and like managed to catch myself with my arms either side of the hole. And my, <sighs> down, my legs were just dangling. I was like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, Jeez, I, I was caught on a rope and it was tight, so I, I would have been absolutely fine. Oh, uh, yeah. But it was definitely like, a, oh, all right. And then we, we talked about it afterwards. Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, let's just go home. Like, yeah, let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> and that still yeah. took ages. That Like, even just getting off that glacier, we took another five hours or something. We had to do like four yeah. or five hours to get off it. It was, like, we got home just before dark, too. So if we'd have carried on going for it, it might
0: not have been the best decision anyway. Yeah. Yeah. there's a, a a great line. Um, I think it came from, but there's like, there's bold mountaineers and there's old mountaineers, but there aren't any bold and old mountaineers. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And, and especially at mountaineering in particular, because uh, of exhaustion, but also, um, yeah, just all the, the risks that, that, that come in the high Alpine, um,
1: well, a lot of them you can't. You can manage in a certain way, but there's still so many like variables that you can just get unlucky.
0: Yeah, yeah. and um, it, I think
1: that's the hardest part.
0: And then the the allure of the summit as well. In terms of when you're exhausted and not that far from the summit, it's easy to forget about all the the risks of going down the mountain. Like
1: yeah, yeah, and just get summit. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: So it's, I think it's only going to become more common these days with like social media and stuff too. It's
0: like yeah.
1: like going to have such an, inf- it has an influence already on people's decisions, but it's going to become even more of a decision.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I absolutely agree. I'm curious what you think. Uh, you said you saw all the, the films and the film fest. What did you think of the ghosts above?
1: Uh, That's the Everest. Well, that was, oh, that was an
0: Everest movie. the Everest
1: movie. Yeah. no, I kind of liked it, you know, like I, I really did like it. Um. Even though I'm not a big uh, personally, I've never been to Nepal. I've never climbed Everest, so I don't really have much of like a an opinion on it. I don't think like a, a valued opinion, but um, the the way they portrayed it, I thought it was really good.
0: Yeah, it is. I I didn't like it. I what? I mean I uh, like I, I I I was on a a, a Sir Hillary scholarship to university. Um, it was the first dude to climb Everest. So like I, I got to go to Nepal and, and kind of have a connection with the area. But I like after seeing the photos, I I have no interest in climbing Everest. Like I feel like it's uh it's something that like within the mountaineering community, it's not like it's something that you only really get props for outside of the community. To the yeah. layperson, Everest sounds dope, but like when you think about it, it's like seven. I think it costs like seventy grand to climb it or something. Yeah, so, yeah. so like the, what else? The other dope adventures you could do with that. Um, so that was from the start my view. I think it's an ego
1: one. I think it's an ego thing, you know, I like have... because it's the top- tallest.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, specifically that movie. I, like I, I, I didn't know. Like there was like. Uh, like, he, he said some line close to the summit is like, the only thing keeping me alive was staring into the camera or something. I was like, that was the most narcissistic thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah,
1: like, I'd, I'd have to watch it again, for sure. I haven't, uh, like, I've got a few flashbacks from, coming from it, but...
0: I mean, the cinematography I, I, was amazing. I mean, yeah, I really beautiful too. cinematography you seen, but I, I, like, the narration and, and I, I, I don't know, I just got kind of, like, douchey vibes, like, like, narcissistic yeah. vibes from it.
1: Have you watched the movie Porter? No. Oh, that's on YouTube. You should check that out. It okay. is, yeah, it's really good. I can't remember the guy's name, but he uh, he basically works a, a shift as a porter for Everest Base Camp, like mm. carrying everyone's bags up and like living as a porter and he speaks Nepalese on Nepali. <sighs> and it's wow. super cool. You get to like see everything like behind, not behind the scenes, but you get to like a good understanding of what life is really like for a porter and oh dude those guys were they're the shit mm. <laughs> they're the shit we're soft
0: yeah so man soft. yeah I, I, when i was i did, did the the base camp trick um as part of the scholarship and um i what i loved is uh, at each like location our porters would always just go in and help in the kitchen of the the teahouses i mean the the community is pretty tight they they knew each other but just that that kind of camaraderie and service like amongst them was, was, was really, really cool. Mm, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to get over there, but I, st- I still don't have any desire to, to climb Everest. I just feel like, yeah. Like, te- I don't know. I don't know if it's the technical, technical side of it. Like even actually if, I don't know, big mountains in general, like big, big mountains like that. Don't they're not vibing with me for some reason. I just don't like, I, I appreciate it. And I think it's exceptional what people can do. But it's just not my, doesn't vibe me.
0: I wonder if it'll, I'm curious. So, how does Ultra Matherones vibe you, but but, higher like big mountains doesn't? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, yeah.
0: Um, For me, that I, was what? Maybe like, it's like
1: all the equipment and all the other, all the extra stuff and like having to like get porters to go do something. I don't know. I just, it just feels like more just more stuff more shit to like organize or like i don't know yeah. the idea of doing maybe a a high peak with a bunch of friends like four or five friends it would be really cool but it doesn't have to be in the pool i just kind of like my main focus seems to be in the coast mountains
0: i mean and that's yeah that's that's probably it in that like or why go to Nepal when there is so much to see on the coast mountain range? Oh, like,
1: I, I, there's like so many peaks I want to climb around here that I don't need to go there.
0: Yeah, and yeah.
1: Everything, everything a, a lifetime's worth of climbing and skiing is all on our doorstep.
0: It is. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. It's it's funny. This is uh. And my, still
1: unexplored. Like, so
0: and still unexplored.
1: Yeah, like relatively, like a lot of things still haven't, or maybe they've been climbed once, or only been never been skied, or certain faces that haven't been climbed there's
0: still loads of them yeah that's really really cool what i was gonna say is i uh this is my first time in a long time that i'm actually settling somewhere uh mm-hmm. and starting to lay some roots here in uh, in bc that's um good. versus like the the thrill i got from kind of just living a nomadic life of, of like minimalist life um and so much of it is because they're like you can't like the excuse of getting bored, you can't really make that excuse around here. When like there's four different sports you can do in any day, and there's so many different things you can explore. Like.
1: That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I've definitely like settled settled more here than or oh, I've never really settled anywhere. Like I, my mum and dad said that when I said I was gonna try and get residence here, they were like, "You must like it then, because <laughs> you just spend six months in a place and move on, so you must like it where you are." You know? Yeah yeah it's true yeah I don't know I feel like the, and the more time you spend here the more you start to realise the scale of like yeah. things, how big things like I, I still have my mind blown like all the time even just after this last trip to the Chilcotins, it's just the mountains just go on forever and ever and ever you know like I still haven't yeah, put a graph to it in my own head
0: <laughs> huh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Chilcotins is a special place. I, uh, yeah, I've
1: never
0: been there before. It was so sick. Yeah, did you, were you hiking or mountain biking?
1: I oh, we went skiing. We just got back. From oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah we the mountain there. biking there is unreal. I, yeah, uh,
1: like yeah, I've heard a lot of the um, like uh, bike packing trips and stuff sounds so. Yeah.
0: Sick. yeah, yeah, we go. We're gonna try and do some next summer. We did just in in September. We did some big kind of like thirteen hour like days, um, just on the mountain bike. But it was that was kind of one of the big. Uh, that was similar to overnight because when you're going that remote, you're like, if, if something goes wrong here, we're going to be overnight. Uh, And especially I'd I'd done my, my first wilderness, first responders like a month before. And so I was like, that's good. I I was thinking, Oh man, so good. Such a good investment. Um, But it also just gets you thinking like, this can go wrong. This can go wrong. This can go wrong, which is a good way to think. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, I I, I feel like
1: the the whole first aid, like, realness responder stuff isn't like talked about enough in the outdoor industry. I feel like I definitely, depending on where I'm going and who I'm going with, I want them to have some sort of good high level first aid. Otherwise, I'm not going with them,
0: you know? Yeah.
1: Personally, because if something did happen when you're out there and you're the only one that has like some sort of first aid skills and then you get hurt, yeah
0: yeah, man and actually do you know what was crazy about that that chakotland trip is uh the the month before i uh i got stung by like three or four wasps in pemberton and and uh had like hives and my lips swell up oh, right. and so they're like i think uh they've given me an epi pen as in next time you get stung it could get worse but um the, i did the the chakotland trip soon after and i was like imagine if i get stung by wasps here, and the, and it's just I, I almost want to get stung close to find out if I am anaphylactic but um you can have like definitely a test on there, can't you? I don't think you can I think the only way to do it is get stung by wasps
1: wow I, um, I thought it was maybe like food allergies where they just like rub a bunch of stuff on your arms or inject you or something
0: or... I'm almost I mean maybe my doctors were wrong that when I got this done but I, I don't think there's any way to test if you're or at least to reliably test whether or not you're going to have an anaphylactic response to it.
1: But then yeah, I feel like at this point, you're just going to have to take it with you.
0: Exactly. But, and then, yeah. But in terms of like, in terms of risk assessment for bike packing, like having like anaphylaxia weighing over me, just like, it, it just adds like a massive, like thing to deal with, you know, like one big risk to be aware of at all times.
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah. like it's i think there's a lot of people that have it that don't even realize too that's
0: probably true yeah yeah yeah
1: but but then like technology wise getting into like in reaches and all these different devices that you can use to like contact search and rescue it's just they're so good these days
0: yeah Yeah. love you talk a little bit more about the trip you got planned in the spring and specifically what like what are you doing for like risk assessment and, and planning for that
1: um so yeah it's it's been on the cut we've been talking about it for a year and a half now um planning risk assessment wise uh we've we've, we've basically just gone through every sort of scenario that we what could happen what like with if it's someone getting an infection like i've got a bunch of antibiotics like a week's prescription that someone could have we have a bunch of like um from my ankle when I broke it, the uh, the morphine pills they gave me, I've kept a bunch of those. So we got some of those. But um, I don't know. There's not, I, I, there's definitely lots of risks, um, but I, I don't know. I don't think there's like too many. I mean, I mean many
0: obviously, <laughs> obviously, uh, there's never enough like risk to <laughs> to warrant not doing it. But
1: yeah, that's what I feel like. Yeah. But lots of glacial travel and like most of the ice fields we're going on, and, and that is, is relatively safe. Mm. Just the big ice fields. And um, we have a few like ski objectives that we'd like to try and tick. They're probably like the biggest risk, I would say, because mm-hmm. it'd be stepping out a bit more. But, and then also like not finding the food caches, that would be a big one. Um, because on a few of the spots where we are, getting out would be really difficult. Um, and are you
0: getting food drops or how are you getting it? So, yeah, of-
1: because we're trying to do it human powered, we're going to put the food drops in place ourselves. So one of them's going to take couple of days to get in like two days and then another one's going to take around three or four days and then one of them is uh going over to Chilco Lake and paddling like 30k down Chilco Lake and then hiking the food cache 10k into the glacier and then burying it on the glacier
0: where's Chilco Lake
1: um it's, it's, if you were if you're going to drive to Bella Coola it's on the south side of that highway along there
0: uh it's like oh the, wow well
1: one of the longest lakes in bc or something like that
0: yeah cool and so the
1: we went there last year to go and try and drop off the food cache and we got there and it was like 70 kilometer out of winds like straight in the head like headwinds and me and my friend shane got in the canoe anyway fully loaded and tried to like make it happen and we had to leave at like three in the morning to catch the low winds and we got in the water for like five minutes and we're like, no way are we doing this. And we just bailed and then pulled over to the side of the lake and was like, not a chance. Can we paddle in this wind? Like,
0: oh, geez. So we,
1: just got, we just ended up having to come home empty handed, but we're mm. going to try and get back up there. The next,
0: um, and before. so you've got individual operations just to drop the food caches off.
1: Yeah, we were like, let's make a trip for the big yeah. trip. You know, like we can like go out and do a ski traverse, drop off a bunch of food. And then we'll mm-hmm. get it in two months time or one month's time. I just feel like they'd be such a fun way of like planning a big trip by doing mini trips.
0: Mm. How do you, how are you deciding on rations for those days?
1: Uh, well, there's the, there's a, um, some, a good like guideline to go with on the John Baldwin website. Cool. Like a good a breakdown of like how much food you should be taking and gives you some recipes and how much like gas, like liquid gas you need for each mm-hmm. day of travel per person so and we've, we've definitely altered those rations a little bit from like other trips um but yeah i don't know i just i have a good i feel like i've got a good idea of like how much food i need per day depending on like what's going on mm-hmm. yeah, just just from like experience on other trips yeah
0: uh-huh. this
1: last trip though took way too much food we packed in a christmas dinner to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, that
0: was on the-, the the whistler traverser
1: no, sorry. This is on a Chilco trip just recently. Oh, yeah. And I made mm-hmm. like 12 Yorkshire puts and hiked them in. And we had like mashed potatoes and oh, I made it. My bag was way too heavy, like way too heavy. Yeah. And the sleds, but it was good training.
0: Yeah. That's what it's like. Currently the way I pack is like pack like a couple of days extra, like one, cause you're going to wish you had it if shit hits the fan, but two, like at worst you get like better training. But in yeah. terms of like, uh, like bike packing objectives we want to do in summer, like is, we're gonna have to start making decisions of like rationing food. So
1: yeah, uh, like mm. I feel like, and especially with the dried food though. You know, you like just get one of those dehydrators and do it yourself. Like I've done a bit of that, and it's so much fun.
0: Yeah. You know? What about the admin? Is it like how much time does it take to set up? A...
1: Not. Well, if you just make your dinner like you would do on a yeah. normal night, and you just make a double portion,
0: uh huh. And
1: then you put half of it in the dehydrator, and you leave it for twelve hours. You're ready to go. So you don't actually
0: really. Do oh man okay
1: and they're not like you can get cheap ones pretty cheap um, what are you looking
0: like at for a cheap dehydrator
1: 60 70 bucks
0: oh man easy but it's yeah. like there's literally like three mick like dehydrated meals or something
1: yeah, uh, yeah. I, i'm i'm thinking about buying like a, a like the there's one a brand called excalibur which is like the the best brand apparently i'm thinking about getting one of those because my cheap one it just takes a bit longer i'm still like sometimes okay. like 20 hours to do certain things where this excalibur will do it in like eight
0: Oh wow! Well.
1: I think I'm gonna invest in that. Just I don't know. In yeah. the future, we're gonna keep doing this stuff, aren't we? So we might as well. Exactly. Get a good one. Yeah.
0: When you're hooked to this, yeah, to to this kind of thing, there's no going back. Right. No. Yeah. Um. Well, in terms of uh avalanche risk, what do you have in place, uh, to like check the the snow, and weather forecast for that trip?
1: Um. So we've got an in reach us, So someone we're gonna get someone to text us weather forecasts every few days hopefully Um, uh, i don't think we're too much like focused on the getting an avalanche report for out there because it just there isn't any people skiing out there so there's not really any relevant information if there was like i I feel like everyone in the group has a good understanding of what the weather does to the snowpack so as long as we've got some weather information coming in like if there's a massive storm coming then we can like get ourselves ready for the big storm but even, like, when we're out there, it's quite easy to, like, because you're living and breathing it, you're seeing exactly what the is doing to the snow all the time. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of you just get in tune with it, I think. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have to rely on outside information a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. For me, because I have so little experience on uh, on snow, I'm like, I, I still definitely haven't got that intuition. I, I'm far yeah, from
1: it. I don't think I've got that intuition at all, but I just – it's it makes more sense. And the more time I spend out there, it makes more sense. I still get mm. caught up a little bit for sure. Like things that I thought would be a certain way that aren't or like there's the, the weather would have like a different interaction with the snowpack, but um, I don't know. We pl- we're planning on keeping it really safe and like dialing back that, um, that risk level for sure. Just because of how remote it's going to be. Because mm. if someone happens, yeah, it's game over.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I don't know. We'll, and the, um, so there's three of us going on this trip, Kate and Tyler. Tom isn't coming this time, sadly. But between the three of us, I feel like we make good decisions and I trust those guys completely. Yeah. So it should cool, be good. But I'm also intimidated at the same time. You know, when you have that feeling of like, oh, God, like this is going to be this is scary, but I really want to do it. and I'm excited. But it feels like it's that right balance of like fear and unknown and... Wanting to, I wouldn't, I don't think I would sign up and say that I want to do it unless I really wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's I know,
0: I, I love that, that feeling. Have you, uh, have you seen the documentary, uh, called Mountain on Netflix? It's like a philosophical documentary. I
1: haven't, I've, um, I've watched a little bit of it, but not actually watched the whole thing. No.
0: Oh, man, it's a, it's beautiful. But the, the line that sticks out to me is, um, uh, it, there's a there's a bit on explaining why people inflict suffering on themselves because so, that's essentially what mountaineering and, and a lot of man you, you're inflicting nine days of suffering on yourself it's gonna oh. there's gonna be a lot of awe there but it's mostly gonna be, be... <laughs> but anyway the, there's a line of the, the, the mountains is is the testing ground in which the self is best illuminated
1: oh okay yeah i, like
0: it, I said it really is like it's, it's where you test how much of a man you are kind of thing. The, yeah. Like, those challenges. So. But
1: then get humbled at the same time. I find like there's a lot of that, you know, like that most of the time that I'm out there, I'm feeling more humbled by the landscape and the environment and just like how little and how we mean nothing, you know, in the big picture we are just so minute and small that we're just privileged to be able to like go and do this. I think that's what I feel most of the time is that I feel lucky that I'm, a, I'm capable and have the opportunities to go and do this sort of, sort of stuff i think that's the main feeling i feel
0: yeah yeah i'm, I'm exactly the same and uh in in that kind of deep appreciation and, and awe of mother nature um because mm-hmm. humble is the right word of it because it can like it, it, it you can be ended in a second um by mother nature when, when it's that remote. yeah just pissed off yeah yeah you're done yeah I'm curious do you so this is a I don't know if it's just me doing crazy things but I, I uh I often refer to it as that like if the mountain gods are on my side today because there's so much luck involved do you are you superstitious in that way
1: uh yeah no, no for sure um I, I yeah I definitely feel like there's times when mountains allow you to pass through and be part of them and there's times when they don't and if you try and go when they don't, when they don't want you there, the, there's lots of signs to tell you that you shouldn't be there. And there's, I found that though yeah. in those times that I've gone when it wasn't the right time, it's not the same experience that I was looking for. And it's not the, the right feeling. And it's just not enjoyable where if you wait, if I wait and then it is that it's 10 times more than I ever expected. Yeah. So I just, I, if you, if I feel like that now that we live here in these, these places and especially like in the coast mountains or anywhere in, in Canada, like you you have the time to wait for the right conditions because everything will come in eventually. But if you wait, it'll be so much better than you imagined. If you, yeah. you don't have that fear as much, you know, you'll still be scared, but you won't be like super scared.
0: Yeah. And I almost uh, got to the point where, uh, like, l- let's say you you're, you're scram- let, Let's say it's like mountaineering and you're scrambling towards a peak, uh, it, it, to a point where I'm almost more proud of myself for days I turn around
1: below oh, yeah. the summit
0: than days I I take an unnecessary risk in order to to get yeah,
1: there. Yeah, you know that, like no one's proud of those days when they yeah. put they go they push past. their their I think everyone has their own risk like risk level and like their own what would you call it like, stupid line. You know,
0: yeah.
1: like if I go past this line, I'm being stupid. And when you do go past it, you know you're not you're not going to be. Happy with yourself? You're not gonna. It's not gonna be as good of an experience. You're not gonna enjoy being in that state of mind. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Right? It's almost. It's almost like you've you've gone into debt. You've unnecessarily borrowed from from the mountain gods. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. Like You're playing with fire. For sure. Uh, yeah, I definitely. But then there's uh, it's just weird because then sometimes you do not stupid things, but you are like taking big risks. But you feel like that. It's in your favor a bit more, so you can get closer to that stupid line, you know, and that—that's just knowing when to do that and when not to do that.
0: What would be an example of a big risk that you've taken? That.
1: Um. Well, I, I, I soloed the uh, or rope soloed a rope soloed the the chief on University Wall like a a climbing route, and spent three days on that, like sleeping in a hammock and just there was definitely times in that where I didn't, I felt like I wasn't really What's was the word. Like I was really struggling with the fear of it all mm. because I was really scared, but I knew that if I kept pushing through it and push beyond those fear boundaries, that it was an okay time to do it. Like there, I think that there's certain times when you can and situations where you can like push past that, that fear mm. and then you're something new. And then there's other times when you, you shouldn't be doing that. But for some reason, things were lined up in a way that this was the time that I should break that barrier and push through it. And I had a lot of like mental battles with myself to do it, but I'm uh, so,
0: glad I um, so, I did. So at the start, I was mentioning uh, kind of the study I've been doing in, in terms of flow science and yeah. uh, the kind of that school of thought would suggest that flows highly intuitive in terms of uh the the feeling of whether or not to take those risks is is based on feedback from yourself based on how up you are how how much risk there actually is in terms of if you if you're fully on it there's not actually that much risk if you know you're going to be absolutely concentrated you're going to bring your very best self the risk is not there but if you're in a, in a mindset where you may zone out for half a second, mm. risk is suddenly 10X. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I felt like, yeah, I was definitely in that then. I, was, I, 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 I would say I found a flow state for a few days because I wasn't really thinking about anything else. I was just focused on what I was doing and thinking about it all the mm-hmm. time and trying to push past those boundaries. Um, yeah, but it was a weird flow state because I was petrified at the same time and then I would like have a fall fall quite far lower myself to the belay and then just stand there and think about it for a while if i was like was i am i ready to go back up there and do that again oh man or not and i definitely ended up having like full conversations with myself like i felt like i there was either someone else on there with on that trip with me i've never spoke to myself that much before
0: wow so what do you mean by assisted solo
1: so basically um you're belaying for yourself as you're climbing up so it's a little bit like complex with ropes and stuff. And you are basically just pulling out a bunch of slack and you'll go. And I was a climbing too. Cause the the, the grade that it goes at, at like 12 a, I can't do that. Mm. And like, and solo. So I was a climbing where you're like putting cams and nuts in the wall. And then like, you're stepping on little ladders to make yourself up, make you get, make your way up there. Um. So it's, it's just a little bit more of a rope rope systems and playing around. But if things go wrong, then it's really wrong because you're out there, there on your own. There's no one there to help rescue you. Yeah.
0: Or,
1: um, and then when you're belaying for yourself too, like you kind of, you don't do like small bits of slack. You just kind of like, just to move efficiently, you pull out quite a big bit of slack. So any fall is going to be pretty far too.
0: Mm, you Jesus. People, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then each pitch as well, you have to climb it. Then you have to repel it. Then you have to climb it again, but by Drew up the rope to get all your gear back, and then you have to haul the bag up. So you're doing each pitch like. I
0: was I was just going to ask how you would anchor yourself. So you anchor yourself at the bottom, climb, anchor, lower back down, remove the anchor, climb back up. Yeah. So oh I, man.
1: I'd, I'd only just bought like this book, who's like teaching you how to do it. Mm. And, like, the day before, I'd been to the wall and like stood with the book, figured it out with the rope, and was like, okay, this is how you do it let's go do it and then just went for it and oh man it blew me away it was so fun
0: <laughs> man that's so wild um and you're there for three days
1: yeah so like uh people will do it a lot faster than that people are like solo that route but just for me personally it took me three days to like go through the demons figure out the systems like figure out how to do it because i was still like learning at the same time mm-hmm and then on the third day, I had no breakfast, and no food left. But- I was gonna
0: ask, <laughs> did you did you bring three days of supplies?
1: No, so I, I took um, so much beer. I mean, that was I just basically just went on holiday for three days. I took a bunch <laughs> of food and a bunch of beer, and just went and had a right time on the side of the wall. And then on the last day, I woke and I had no food left for breakfast, so I drank two beers and then repelled down.
0: <laughs> That's so wild, man. So um, wild. Wait, so you repelled down or, or like you couldn't you couldn't hike off that route.
1: Well, it would, I had so much gear, it would like destroy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just like uh, attached it all to my harness and just repelled it all. Yeah.
0: Jesus. Man, that is such an epic adventure. That's some real bone game stuff.
1: Oh um, yeah, I was going to say about that book, bone games. But
0: yeah, yeah, I, I I'm looking at it right now. I need to uh I need to return that slash pass it on to someone else cuz uh, yeah. it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's geez. a powerful book.
1: Yeah, um, I love it a long time
0: yeah um
1: there's actually i've got another one here that you might be interested in what's it called it's called the autonomy and mastery in the avalanche path and it's all about like decision making in the avalanche oh man stuff like it'd be right up your street
0: yeah but please let me let me get a copy of that and uh have you read stealing fire by jamie wheel and stephen collar man let me uh let me exchange it for that it's um it's basically, it's like a great introduction to flow. It's like the, the premise is um, that uh, so like flow states in uh, outdoor adventure, like a, a creative flow state um, being on psychedelics. And then like the group flow of being at a concert are all utilizing the same neural substrates in your brain. it's like essentially the same thing is, is going on in all these situations and it's like how it's like a guide on what's going on and how you can use that to get more out of yourself um,
1: yeah i like that, that sounds yeah. great i tell you what though i've definitely got the fear again though from rock climbing after my accident it's it's come back
0: it's, yeah it's, yeah that's biology for you it's a, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a message from your ankles telling you to not do that again yeah um, i know it is and uh-huh. it's
1: me really a while to like push past that but yeah yeah, it's gonna. It'll be. It'll be
0: all right. I just have to just get over it. Take some time. Right. All right. Sorry to cut off there. Still working on the transitions. Still working on the, the fades. Um, thanks for listening. If you're not one of the six people I already know who's definitely listening to this, maybe listening to this, hit me up. Available on the internet. Webs, probably the best place is Instagram. Tim Stew NZ. It's at T I M. S-T-E-W-N-Z. Would love to know what you think. I would love to connect. Cheers.